Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the final episode of season two of the Sing Second Sports podcast. I am John Schofield, the host. Joining me is special guest Bill Wagner from the Capital Gazette newspaper. And also joining us is Chris Cervello, our producer and old man radio expert. Here we are. It is May 20th. Finals are done. Sea trials are done. Um, you've got commissioning week coming up next week, and we are going to talk to Commander John Fay of the U.S. Navy Flight Demonstration Team, the Blue Angels, about what to expect next week and what makes the Blue Angels so special and some of his memories of the Brotherhood. And then our spotlight interview this week will be with Athletic Director Chet Gladchuck. Cannot wait to talk to him later on in this pod. First things first, the season is over. Women's rowing had a shot. They were not able to close the deal they lost in the Patriot Leagues. It would have been the 10th Patriot League championship of this season, which would have been a new school record. But let's go ahead and take a look at the year in review. Nine Patriot League championships. That's tied for a school record. 20 and four in the star competitions. Stay tuned to next football season when that's on one of our Sing Second Sports t-shirts. 27 overall wins against Army. That is a record as well. Every varsity team that competed against Army beat them at least once in route to an overall 61% winning percentage for all of our D1 sports, which all of a sudden this week became two more with the announcement from Athletic Director Chuck Ladchuk about men's and women's rugby being elevated from club to varsity status. With these two additions, Navy will now have 35 varsity sports, which still ranks third in the country behind Ohio State and Stanford, who each have 36. Gavin Hickey, the director of rugby at the Naval Academy, was obviously thrilled by this. We've talked to him throughout the year, and now we cannot wait to talk to him on next season's pod. I'll tell you what, this is a great thing for rugby. The first rugby game ever played at the Naval Academy was in 1963 when the Rugby Battalion Championship took place. Altogether, Navy has had 42 All-Americans named by U.S. Rugby and was the D1 runner-up in rugby in 1994. One of those All-Americans and that D1 runner-up is friend of the pod and current Principal Cyber Advisor for the Department of the Navy, Chris Cleary. Um, It's just a great thing for the Naval Academy sports-wise, They'll compete in the Rugby East Conference against teams like Army, Penn State, Virginia Tech, St. Bonaventure, Mary Washington, Notre Dame College, Queens College, some pretty, pretty awesome stuff. So Wags, really quick, let me throw it over to you. This announcement of two more varsity sports on top of all of the success that I just summarized, you've got to evaluate this in all of your years covering Navy sports as probably their most successful year ever. 
Oh, I would say so. I mean, it. Chuck Gladchuck has made a point that beating Army is at the pinnacle of of everything each program must achieve, and and that message has gotten through. And the, the, uh, absolutely unbelievable record against Army, and we'll talk to Chet about that. Uh, but it's 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 what a statement Navy made with regard to its record against Army. But to rugby, real quick, John, I think we had heard for a long. It's been many years now in the making of moving rugby from club status to varsity status. And the only question mark was fundraising. And you got to give the Navy Rugby Alumni Association a lot of credit because they raised a significant amount of funds to bridge the gap. Navy already supported rugby to a certain extent. Uh, when I, I should say the Naval Academy Athletic Association supported rugby to a certain extent as a club sport. But to get to varsity status, they needed additional funding for all of the things where they need a recruiting budget, um, travel budget, et cetera, everything that makes that goes about being a varsity sport. And the Navy Rugby Alumni Association was responsible for raising money to bridge that gap. And that's why this has happened. And talking to Chuck Gladchuck, a key impetus to this is that the competition within the league you just referenced Many of those programs were previously club and have since switched to varsity status. And if Navy wanted to continue to compete on even terms in its league, it had to go varsity. And there's one, the number one program that went varsity was Army. Army has been varsity since about 2015, I want to say, John. And they were the Division I national championship this past season. So Navy needs to beat Army in rugby. And it, it can't, could not continue that Army's a varsity program getting varsity level support and Navy's a club program getting club level support. So I think ultimately that was the uh, impetus behind moving rugby. And, you know, let's not forget the Navy women's rugby was the national champion this past season and they were runner up the year before. And so it, it's not only Navy men, it's women as well going varsity, John, and it's exciting. Yeah, so happy for Gavin and obviously for Murph McCarthy, the women's coach and friend of the pod. Um, this is just a great moment. Shout out to the likes of Chris Hoffman, uh, who was a very big part of you know, the lobbying effort to make sure uh, that this happened. And, and great, 35 varsity sports. Chris Cervello, at, at this moment, you know, we're, we're talking about this in the here and now, and this is as... There's a very much ballyhooed story just conquering ESPN right now, which is the back and forth between Coach Saban in Alabama and Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. And here we are jousting back and forth between these two blowhards about NIL and whether they're buying recruits and the whole state of affairs of college sports, which really has an ugliness to it right now all of the transfer window stuff, all of the lobbying to get NIL deals. You know, I, I almost have a feel here and I'm going to channel John Feinstein. And I know that as a student of Naval Academy sports, you appreciate this. It's almost like we're seeing the last of the great amateurs here um, at service academies where we don't have to deal with this NIL stuff. We don't have to deal with the crap being lobbed back and forth between Fisher and Saban from your perspective. How do, how do you evaluate it, particularly as we're as we're elevating two sports like rugby that have zero shot of being pro sports or pro athletes 
it, it's just a great feather in the cap for service academies, I think. It, it is a great feather, John, and it is a reminder watching um, Alabama joust back and forth with Texas A&M, how lucky we are and how special the Naval Academy is in today's world. We taped our interview with John Fay ahead of doing this intro, so we kind of have the benefit of knowing what John said. There's no way that any listener will walk away from that interview feeling anything but just fantastic. I mean, I'm still feeling great. I had the benefit of knowing John at the Naval Academy. I knew his brother, Ben. Um, and now to see him as the EXO, the Blue Angels. I mean, that's it. That's right. That That is what the Naval Academy produces. Guys like John and Ben Fay. And not that these other schools don't produce great young men and women, but we're just lucky. Um, we, we are lucky to be um, associated with, and some of us from, I think, one of the best places in the world for uh, attracting, building, and staying connected with the men and women that you want to follow, not just in the battle, but that you want to follow in the business, that you want to be friends with. Um, it's a special place. Wags? Absolutely, John. We'll talk to Chet about the NIL and all of what's going on with college athletics, but it scares me, John. I, I don't see this as sustainable. It's the wild, wild west. And they, frankly, they, they introduced all of this, transfer portals, NIL, without a whole lot of oversight or rules. And it's gotten out of control. And, and as you, you know, typical of schools that are all they care about is winning, they've come up with all sorts of ways to try to game the system and it's disturbing. And I'm wondering how Navy football plays in this division, in the football bowl subdivision with these same schools. And I know they don't compete against Alabama and Texas A&M, but they're in the same basic, you know, it's the same subdivision. And, and this is going to filter down to the American Athletic Conference, John. Houston, all, all these schools now, they're leaving, of course, but I just worry about how this impacts because the service academy can't take advantage of transfer portals, can't take advantage of NIL money. And frankly, I'll kind of preview something. I think there are some people within the service academy ranks who are challenging the fact that that service academy athletes can't get NIL money. Um, there may be some noise on that front coming down the road, and I'll, I'll broach it with Chet and see what he thinks. But Right now, the they service academies are saying that you can't accept NIL money because you're already employed technically by the United States government. But I, I think there's a lot of people who are questioning that, and it may prove difficult for Navy to get talent is, in football, really, is what we're talking about, uh, without some sort of NIL in, incentives. Well, it's a good segue um, before we go to our interviews, WAGs. Yeah, so really... You, you can't necessarily in the here and now get NIL money um, as a student athlete at the U.S. Naval Academy, but you certainly can if you evolve as an athlete, possibly go pro. And we've had some athletes who have requested to go pro here in the last couple of weeks. There's been some news on that front, not only with the current class like Matt Nosita and Diego Fago, but with a name from the long, long past, Noah Song, what can you update us on those guys and their desires to play pro sports before we go to break? All we know right now, John, is that there's a holding pattern for the current uh, Naval Academy athletes. Matt Nosita, who was drafted by the 
Red Bulls in MLS and drafted highly, we must say. Uh, one of the top picks overall in the draft in the first round. And then Diego Fugo and Michael McMorris. Um, I believe that they will eventually be allowed to go to training camp, Diego and Michael, and that Matt will be allowed to play for the Red Bulls. Uh, the policy remains in place. It has not changed. Until the Biden administration changes the policy, it's a little hard not to allow them to go. Now, they weren't allowed to sign contracts, we found out, when because Diego Fago had originally been announced as a undrafted free agent with the Baltimore Ravens. But then when the Baltimore Ravens officially released their list of undrafted free agents, Diego wasn't on it. And I found out it's because right now the Navy will not allow these young men to sign contracts because they are midshipmen. So the question is, when they graduate, will they be allowed to sign contracts? So that's we're waiting to hear whether they're going to be allowed to sign contracts and go to training camp um, and whether Matt Nacito will be allowed to join the Red Bulls. But the you were referencing Noah Song, former Navy baseball player, and the news was that he graduated, well, he completed flight school. He got his wings of gold. And as I wrote this story, I reached out to Ward Carroll to try to get some specifics, make sure I didn't write things wrong. But uh, Noah spent about two years down in Pensacola. I think his flight training was delayed a little bit by COVID, but he has completed the requirements and he is now winged. And he has requested early release from the United States Navy so he can rejoin the Boston Red Sox organization and continue to pursue his professional baseball career. And we'll see how that plays out. That request is pending for a waiver. Um, I talked to Noah's agent, Sarah Kelm of the last Lucidus group. Um, Sarah says that Noah has every intention of serving, that he wants to fly, but he wants to be able to pursue baseball while it's still possible before he gets too old and is too far away from the game to really have a legitimate shot. So Noah hasn't participated in competitive baseball in two years. I don't know how long it would take him to ramp up and get back to his old self, but we all know that Noah Song has the tools to be a major league baseball player. Uh, but he, he went and got his wings because he does want to be a pilot. I don't know if he would do that in reserve duty during the off season. I really don't know how all this would work, John. Uh, it'll be interesting to follow. And you were well acquainted with this situation at one time as well. Yeah, I, I think it's unprecedented that you go down there and you get the training that is invested in you in flight school and then try to get out. Um, you know, it, from where I sit, it, it, it looks an awful lot like Billy Hurley's situation, which is at the time, Billy requested to get out after two. And they said, no, it, it, you know, based on the needs of the fleet and what and the state of you know affairs, we were in the middle of OIF and OEF. They said, no, serve your five. Now, you know, with Noah, it's a lot different in that he incurred a whole lot more training cost than Billy did. Billy is a slow, didn't have two years down at Pensacola to get your wings. So we'll see what happens there. Chris? I think that's an important point, John. And, and I mean, I would tell you um, as, a, as a graduate and as a taxpayer, I am completely on board with folks deferring their commission, saying as a midshipman, which is as the, the current policy uh, is, is written, is that they retain the midshipman rank. They don't get paid 
they go play pro and then when their pro career is over, then they determine whether they commission or, or what you do at that point. I do have a hard time with this idea that, you know, we put a million dollars or whatever flight school is, uh, is, uh, you know, valued at these days into an athlete, uh, into a graduate, into an ensign or JG. And then they decide at that point to go right to the reserves and go back to play professional sports. Um, I, I'm, I'm not on board with that. Uh, I, I think if, um, and, and that's, you know, not anything against Noah, but I mean, it, it's a financial decision. And so for me, I, I think that, you know, the Navy and the Naval Academy really pushing the policy is the best way to go rather than this sort of, I, I kind of want it both ways, which is where I think we find ourselves with Noah. Yeah, it's tough with Noah because, and I'll, I'll let Wags have the last word right after this, because when you get winged, now the fleet is counting on you. You are in a pipeline of guys who need to go to squadrons in the back of a P-8 and deliver that training to the fleet. You know, if you if you apply for you know this waiver or you want to play sports before you incur this training, that that's a very big difference. You're you're like any kid who just got commissioned. You're not necessarily booked into a billet in the fleet, and and that's where Noah I think is in a tough spot. I. I Yes, we were very involved in this. I wanted to help Noah a great deal. I hope I see him pitching for the Red Sox one day and getting promoted to lieutenant or lieutenant commander on the mound of Fenway Park. But this is a tough one, as you said, in that there's been so much financial investment in him. I'm very interested to see what the secretary does. Wax? Well, without going too deep into this, you, all of us here on this pod, know some of the backstory of this. And Noah had some handlers who were pushing the idea of him going to flight school because they liked the sound of Noah a Song pitching in Fenway Park and the announcer saying, Naval Aviator, Noah Song, he's winged, he's got his wings of gold. So somebody cooked up the idea that it would be great for Noah to pitch for the Red Sox as a, a Naval Aviator. And that is why this went down. The question is whether the current secretary of the Navy is going to buy this and say, oh, yeah, that is great. We'll have him pitching for the Red Sox as a naval aviator who didn't actually serve as a naval aviator. But, um, you know, it's interesting. Noah Song is a backseater. He's like our friend Ward Carroll. He, uh, he is not a pilot. He is a flight officer. Um, someone said to me that Noah was too tall to fly in the plane and would be doing operations. And I thought to myself, Noah Song is pretty tall, but he's not taller than my friend Ward Carroll, who flew in a back seat. And I talked to Ward about this and he said, no, it, this would all be known in advance. You get measured. This is all part of the process. So I don't really know what's going on, but um, you know, I'd be interested to see how Noah would serve in the reserves as an aviator, because that's the plan. If he gets approved for this waiver he would pitch for the red sox and then he would have reserve duty and i'm not quite sure what a winged naval aviator does in reserve duty that'd be an interesting question for our friend ward carroll but yeah we'll have to see how it works out it's rather unique john now i will tell you that if um if noah's rights did belong to the baltimore orioles my take on this would be completely different so i am anti noah pitching simply because he's going to the red sox uh, cloaked in a uh, in a in a taxpayer claim. So just just to be clear, 
That's right. I, I hope that he gets a million homers hit off of him in the build your own ballpark uh, Camden Yards that everyone's criticizing now. Well, great, great discussion. Um, you know, it, it's been a great season. We're going to uh, talk about a lot about that in the wrap after we talk to uh, Commander Faye and to Chet. But, you know, awesome discussion. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll have Commander John Fay of the U.S. Navy Blue Angels. This is Sing Second Sports. A special thank you to our sponsors at Red Red Wine Bar and Dry 85 on Main Street in Annapolis. Whether you're an Annapolis resident or if you're coming into town to watch sports or for a reunion or you just want to get back to Naptown as the weather gets nicer, my favorite is a Cabernet and a Cuban sandwich at Red Red Wine Bar or an Old Fashioned and a Dry 85 burger at Dry 85. You can't go wrong with either. Be sure to check out both establishments. And again, thank you to Brian and Lisa Bolter for all of their fantastic support. Now back to the pod. All right. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sing Second Sports Podcast. We are so pleased to be joined by one of our guests this week on our season finale. Uh, Commander John Fay is the executive officer of your Navy Flight Demonstration Squadron. You know them as the Blue Angels. He was appointed to that position in May of 2021, so he's really coming up on his one-year anniversary as the executive officer of the Blues while at the Naval Academy as part of the great class of 2000. Uh, he majored in economics, received his commission, went on to be an NFO both in the S3 Viking and in the P3 Orion, and now is the XO of the Blues, going out there doing great things and going to be here in Annapolis for the show next week. Number one, John, thank you so much for joining us. Number two, Walk us through your time at the Naval Academy because you're a member of the Football Brotherhood. A lot of people might not know that. What was your athletic experience like at Navy? And walk us through a little bit of your career uh, after that. Yeah, John, Chris, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to be a part of this podcast. Uh, I am, uh, you know, as we say, glad to be here. This is an incredible honor uh, and really looking forward to the show next week. Um, you know, to, to have... Uh, the, the just you know the distinct privilege and, and the opportunity to, to play football at the Naval Academy is extremely special to me. Um, I, we've seen it kind of change over the years so much, but um, I, I think a lot of the teams of you know the '80s and '90s were really foundational to what what has been built uh, over the last you know two decades. Uh, and and I'm I'm really proud um, and, and honored to have been a part of that. Uh, the Naval Academy, you know Naval Naval, Naval Academy football. Um, the brotherhood, yeah, just an incredible leadership laboratory within a leadership laboratory. Um, I really feel that a lot of the leadership attributes or, um, experiences and, um, basically lessons that I learned there on the ball field have really translated to, uh, to, to honestly, to the battlefield and, and, and the boardroom as a, as a, another brother and a friend of, of our family, Clint Bruce would say, um, really learned a lot. And, and even, you know, I was thinking of that too. Some of that is in retrospect as well. You know, I didn't know it at the time, but having the ability hindsight being 2020 looking back, I'm able to reflect on some of that and, and see the, the dividends that have paid off and in terms of what, uh, what I learned during those four years by the Bay. Yeah, we've heard a lot of that as we've done two seasons of this podcast, that while you're there, the popular refrain is IHTFP, 
And then as all of these lessons are kind of more inculcated as you go out in the fleet and you see why things were done the way they were done while you were in Bancroft Hall, you know, now you're able to appreciate those lessons more. If, if you had like five minutes with a high schooler and, and, and you wanted to impart a little bit of that knowledge on him or her about what makes the Naval Academy special and what makes the physical mission special, how would you personalize that? How would you how would you uh, bring that message across? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we get the opportunity to do that almost weekly. Uh, matter of fact, um, we we reach about eleven million spectators each year through air shows, but um, we also end up speaking to roughly around fifty thousand people, mostly high school students, um, some hospital outreaches, and, and even some veterans uh, uh, hospitals as well. But uh, roughly around 50,000 people through public outreach. And largely that one of the things that, that we highlight is, is our mission, you know, which is to inspire a culture of excellence, uh, basically. And, you know, in speaking with high school students, a lot of us, what we, you know, try and focus on is, you know, kind of that IHTFB kind of uh, uh, mentality that we know so well at, at, at the Naval Academy. And, and I think even some, you know, high school students probably kind of have that same outlook. Um, trying to trying to kind of translate that to, to GTBH, but, you know, glad to be here, which is, is just all attitude, having the right attitude, because within the Blue Angels, uh, they, you, you know, kind of that attitude, that, that uh, kind of that baseline of, of being glad to be here, being willing to uh, call yourself out for deviations in performance and always working towards perfection, which is kind of an, an ongoing goal. Uh, we've, we've yet to fly a perfect demo. We've yet to be perfect blue angels and, and live the perfect day, but um, we are always striving for that. And that's kind of at the heart of what we, what we try and hit upon in, in every public outreach event. So before I let Bill Wagner kind of throw some football ones at you, before we let you go, um, you, you walk through a little bit of the stats and, and, and there's this feeling this week around Annapolis that Commissioning week might be normal again, and a huge part of that normalcy is the Blue Angels show, both the practice on Tuesday and the show on Wednesday. It's a well-known event. Uh, you know, I had to sign my kids out of school. Traffic is snarled all over the place, but people love this. Walk us through a little bit of this for people who might have a bit of an atrophied memory about what makes the Blue Angels special. How many shows do you fly a year? Um, how much does like the show in Annapolis cost, for example? And then for people who say, hey, that's not worth the cost, kind of walk through a little bit of the overall community outreach aspect that, that you guys see in terms of, um, you know, kind of a payoff for that investment. This year, I believe we're roughly around 64 air show performances across 32 cities in the United States. And um, in, in some years that will extend overseas as well, usually uh, Canada, just just based on uh, our ability to, uh, to air, airborne or fuel in, in, in the legs of the, of the aircraft and the logistics of it. But uh, that's, that's a roughly a, a normal year. Um, so it's a pretty busy season. And I, I, I don't know how much the public truly gets that. It, it's a grind, you know, uh, two and a half months in El Centro training, uh, kind of the crawl walk phase. And then, you know, we're running the rest of the year up through mid-November roughly. And so it's busy, but it's so rewarding. Uh, you know, tough days, but, but never a bad day here. And um, it is hard to quantify exactly how you get that payoff. But uh, when you hear all the different stories of, of folks that were not only, uh, you know, made an impression or, you know, influenced by the Blue Angels, but, but more so impact, 
personally and professionally um, by a performance or by an interaction with uh, any one of the 150 members of our team. Uh, that's pretty powerful. And, you know, we're just, we're just fleet representatives. That is it, nothing more. Uh, and, and we're blessed with that opportunity to go around and do that. So uh, in Annapolis, it's a busy week. Uh, we will start flying on Tuesday and that will start with what's called circles and uh, arrivals. And that's where our pilots are gonna fly first in a diamond formation, that's the four aircraft. Uh, one through four, and they will be flying around uh, locating checkpoints and uh, familiarization with the area, especially with obstacles. And, and it's a it's a, you know, a, a very busy uh, space there uh, around the Naval Academy. And then um, they will land at Andrews and then our solos uh, five and six will come out and they'll do the same thing, getting their running lines and, and getting familiarization. And then um, the team will go back a quick debrief and then rebrief for the Delta Delta being one through six. And they'll come out and they will fly a practice performance Tuesday afternoon. And then on Wednesday, it will be the actual show over the Severn. And uh, it's pretty exciting. It's a great opportunity to, to get over the Naval Academy. And uh, for us grads, you know, very special to return um, and, uh, you know, get to get to do a performance for, for one of our favorite towns. Wax. Hey, John. Good to see you, man. Great seeing you, Wags. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your time playing football at Navy. What's your recollections of, of you know, kind of relive what, what things were like when you were at Navy? And uh, I believe the team was successful during your time here, right? Yes, sir. We, uh, you know, I was there. I came in. Uh, my brother was a senior. Uh, we're four years apart, but we were three years academically because Ben went and played a year at Texas Tech and then and came to Navy under Charlie Weatherby. So, uh had Charlie Weatherby, and but we also had a lot of, of familiar faces now. You know, uh, Coach Niamatololo was there, Coach Jasper, Coach Johnson. So um, a, a lot of a lot of the same same names there. Uh, you know, still still at Navy, and I, I feel extremely blessed to have played uh, under all of them. Uh, all great role models, all great leaders, and you know, like I kind of uh, you know uh, mentioned earlier, just incredibly influential on on my life and, and my career and and just every, every bit of a man I want to be, they've, they played a great part in that. Um, in terms of, of playing, you know, I, I wish that we uh, had, had the record that uh, a lot of Navy teams have, have, have been able to, you know, have, have just worked so hard to produce, but uh, I, I think we worked hard and, uh, and ultimately at least my senior year, you know, we just fell short uh, in, in the last couple of moments and that was heartbreaking and tough, but, you know, uh, again, incredibly impactful on uh on my life and in terms of what I took away from it and learned from it. Well, nobody will ever forget your brother, Ben, doing the hula in the hula bowl, the Loha bowl when he scored a touchdown and he was doing the, the little dance. Um, where He's is a ben tough dancer for sure. <laughs> yeah. Where's Ben these days? What's he doing? Ben's flying with Southwest Airlines. He retired from the Navy reserves uh, as the commanding officer of VR 59, a logistics support squadron uh, there at, in Fort Worth. And uh, he's, got three kiddos of his own that are uh, two of them off at school and another one in high school getting ready to, to go off in the next couple of years. And, uh, and they're doing great. So if I'm correct, the, the platform for the blue angel is slightly different from a few. Was it a few years ago that they changed the plane a bit? I, I mean, the board Carol would slap me down for not knowing all this information, but uh, isn't the, it a bit bigger now? Yes, sir. It is. It's thirty-three percent bigger, and Ward Carroll is uh, is is awesome and does some great 
some great uh, puts out some great info on on the on the team and just you know naval aviation in general. But uh, you're absolutely correct. It's uh, the, uh, the the Super Hornet uh, debuted last year, and and we kind of look at this year as the finalization of that transition because you know last year was a, still a little bit of coming out of the COVID. Uh, type lockdowns and, and a couple cancellations of, of air shows. A couple of them were drive-in air shows. So this is really what we view as the finalization of, of that aircraft transition and, and really putting together our, uh, our flight demonstration using that new platform, as well as the C-130J Super Hercules, which also debuted last year. That's uh, affectionately known as Fat Albert. So for us novices what what was the main reason for this change why did they feel they needed a larger super hornet uh it's really just uh more so aircraft fatigue and uh as as the fleet goes through those aircraft as well so uh we fly the oldest lots uh lots are just the you know as they roll off of the line at the at you know boeing or in, in the case when they originally came off uh, as as hornets you know mcdonald douglas but uh so we are actually flying the oldest lot uh, super Hornets. And, you know, that's a real tribute tip of the hat to our maintainers that work extremely hard to, to ensure that our aircraft are ready to go and, and looking in top, you know, you know, looking top notch um, and top notch condition as they, uh, they head out on the flight line. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're actually the oldest ones. And so as they cycle through their time in the fleet, they end up going through a slight modification where the gun is removed and they replace it with a smoke oil drum uh, for, for the smoke. And then uh, the installation of a spring, a 40 pound spring, which our pilots fly with, which actually flies 40 pounds of nose down uh, for them so that there's a, an artificial feel and, uh, and allows them to fly a little bit more precisely. Thank you very much. I'll throw it back to John. Yes, sir. So, John, uh, I, I have to thank you. And before I let you go, you know, this is the post, you know, Afghanistan Navy. This is now 20 plus years after 9-11, which inspired so many people uh, to to pursue service. Um, yeah, there, there are probably a lot of people out there who scoff and say, why do we need bands? Why do we need the Blue Angels? Why do we need all this outreach? You know, we're kind of reducing the force. We're trying to do it smarter, not harder. We're trying to do it with less people, UAVs. What, why, why do we need the Blue Angels? And why is this important? Other than how special it makes people feel around here next week during commissioning week, what, what's your personal feeling on that? Well, if you look at the history of the Blue Angels, I, I think that that really tells the story uh, because the origins of the Blue Angels was in 1946 uh, after World War II. Uh, Admiral Nimitz recognized the need to be able to to showcase what uh, our naval aviators, uh, what our you know, what what our our sailors and Marines were doing uh, around the world, you know. And so uh, he issued the order to uh, to to start the Navy flight demonstration team and. Uh, you know, he just he didn't want that uh, all the great work that had been done in World War Two to, to be out of sight, out of mind. And um, I, I, I think that that's all we are. And, you know, there's a little bit of uh, we've had to evolve over the years in terms of how we execute our mission. I mean, you look at social media. It's uh, it's certainly different than, you know, Blue Angel execution in the 80s just to some degree in terms of what what you can do with it. But, um, you know, I would just. I would encourage everyone to come out and, and watch a show and, and hopefully you leave with uh, a little bit of a sense of uh, an understanding of the teamwork and the precision and the hard work that goes into to making a show like that possible. And, um, you know, whether or not people choose to, to join the military or 
go do something else in life. In the end, we just want everyone to feel inspired to go be the best version of themselves and, you know, instill that culture of excellence. And I, I, I think our show does a pretty good job at, at, at doing so. Sounds an awful lot like the physical mission at the U.S. Naval Academy. So sure. I'll tell you what, John, thank you so much. I myself am looking very much forward to McGarvey's on Tuesday night. Hopefully the team rolls in there and follows through on that tradition. But uh, if we don't see you, good luck the rest of the season. Thank you so much for joining us. John Fay, the XO of the Navy flight demonstration team, the Blue Angels. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'll look forward to seeing you there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to break. Thanks for sticking with us. This is Sing Second Sports. A special thank you to our friends at the Naptown Scoop. Hey, if you're an Annapolis resident or somebody that lives outside of Annapolis but gets back to town like me, you definitely want to sign up for the Naptown Scoop. There is not a better place online to find out the latest in local politics, sports, weather, restaurant openings, what acts will be playing at what bars over the weekend. Go to naptownscoop.com, click on the subscribe button, and start getting in the know. That's naptownscoop.com, click on subscribe. Now back to the pod. All right, hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the Sing Second Sports Podcast. So great talking to Commander John Fay about next week's Blue Angel show. Um, but let's talk about the year in review, as this is our final podcast of season number two. And so happy to be joined by Athletic Director Chet Gladchuk to talk about this very successful year. Chet, number one, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Number two, how do you sit back here and evaluate what just happened, the record number of wins, um, you know, the 20 and four record in the Star Series, almost uh, getting the record for 10 Patriot League titles in one year. As you sit back, I know you're not into superlatives a lot, but is this kind of the most successful season for Naval Academy Athletics since you've been there? Well, first, John, you know, I, I'll answer that question this way by saying thank you for spreading the good word through the course of the year. I know our, our coaches are so appreciative of the job that you and your team with Chris and Wags have done to um, – spread the good word and, and, you know, keep our fans close to the program so they could appreciate it as we have, you know, what you've termed as a really exceptional year for Navy sports. Yeah. I, I certainly, in the 20 years that I've been the athletic director, you know, the good news is we've had some pretty consistent success. You know, if you look back over those 20 year period, you know, we had a lot of really wonderful highlights. Um, we could point to all kinds of accomplishments and, in virtually every category, but I don't know when the ship has come in the way it did this year. You know, and I'm just so proud of everyone. Um, the effort was extraordinary. The focus, extraordinary. You know, a sense of, of everyone being hungry, you know, this year because of the COVID situation, the layoffs, um, being sequestered in Bancroft Hall for almost two full seasons. But to come out of the blocks the way we did, uh, again, with a laser beam on, with um, uh, not missing a beat in terms of training, in terms of preparation, uh, coaches' continuity, uh, the resources were in place. You know, we didn't dismiss anyone during that very difficult time. So the mantra was always, you know, just be ready. Be ready. And when it's our opportunity again to come together, be ready to step up, you know, and, and, and deliver. And for the most part, you know, 
our coaches did and our teams did and our athletes did. Now, there are a couple of situations where we didn't, you know, get to where we wanted to be. Um, you know, and I think I can use it as a constructive example. You know, the baseball team fell a little short this year. Um, you know, not where we normally are. I mean, we're normally playing for a championship. Um, if you really look at it and you think about it carefully, you know, although most of the programs found a way to manage their way through the, the, the reprieve with the virus, there were some legitimate reasons why the baseball program sputtered a bit this year. And I think the layoff over that period of time truly affected them, and whether it be pitching or their hitting was off or whatever it may be. It's such a finite sport in terms of exacting detail that I could see that we weren't quite in the rhythm that we've been used to, you know, in that, in that particular sport. But, you know, even, even the football program, the way they came back over the course of the year and got better and better and better. And then you get into that army game. And I thought we looked really good, a great game plan. Kenny did a great job of preparation. And there was another good example of, you know, maybe not being as good as we're going to be in the early going. We found a way to put it together as a season. Season went along. So there, there are those that hit every cylinder. There are those that kind of got better as the season went along. There, there's, there's, you know, a team or two that might have just not been able to bring the, you know, bring it home this year. But they've got some great people coming back next year. So I think we're on great ground, solid ground. Uh, we got great continuity. The resources are back. Um, Facilities are in good shape. We're just coming off a capital campaign, and um, we're healthy. Let me put it that way, John. We're healthy. I like it. Wags? Well, Chad, what do you attribute this unprecedented success against Army? Um, I mean, I know we've had coaches on here, varsity coaches, and they all said that with the momentum rolling and all of the other teams winning and we, we kind of felt responsibility. We didn't want to be the program that lost to Army. But I know the emphasis you put on that. I mean, Kerry Colat was recently hired as, as wrestling coach, and he, he told me that you made it clear beating Army was a paramount importance, and he's done it now twice. So, yeah. um, But, I mean, just kind of to what do you attribute this unparalleled system? And can it can be sustained? Because you got to figure – they're back there over there at West Point licking their wounds and figuring how do we bounce back from this? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a priority, you know, Bill. You know, Army isn't, you know, the end all, but it really is a means to a successful, you know, year. You know, being able to continue to dominate as we have over the years with the NSTAR series not as significantly as this year, you know, because we had a great year. We had a historic year in terms of Army domination. But, I mean, it has to be a focal point because it's the tradition. It's the history. It's the fiber of who we are as an institution. It's a, you know, sister service academy, you know, and, and um, it's, a, it's a, I wouldn't say it's the benchmark, but it certainly is a marker, you know, in the evaluation of the program and our ability to be able to, put the pieces together within a service academy environment and succeed to the point of dominance. And, you know, it's the same thing with Air Force. You know, Air Force is a service academy in the same context. And beating Army and beating Air Force brings with it the connotation 
of Service Academy Intercollegiate Supremacy. And, and you know, we expect to win. We want to win. You know, I mean, we're, we're preparing these men and women to win, you know, not to come in second. Now, we do. You know, we you don't win them all and, you know, all of the above. But still, in the meantime, it's a mindset that's driven by, a, you know, a Kerry Kolak, you know, philosophy, which is, you know, hey, when you have an opportunity to flex your muscle, you have an opportunity to, to, to drop a stake in the ground that of the service academies, you know, we're number one, you know, that has to motivate everyone. And I know that's always been the mantra for our alumni. And hey, to this day, Bill, you've been there every time we sing that alma mater, what do we end up with, right? Beat Army. It's ingrained in who we are. It's a sense of pride. And damn it, we, we, that to us is a benchmark. Now things are going. And the only last thing I'll say is, as I referred to it a minute ago, you know, we've got a track record of, of, of supremacy. You know, you know, we don't beat them in everything every year. This year we did, as a matter of fact. You know, as you know, we beat them in every single sport this year, at least once. But um, that NSTAR series is something we take very, very seriously as a, as, you know, as, a, as a department. And we've won that thing on a regular basis, and we don't want to let it get away. Well, I'll tell you what, Chet, you make this podcast look real good because it's the Sing Second Sports Podcast. And boy, oh boy, did Navy sing second a lot this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Moving on, in, in line with beating Army, the next step is performance within the conference. And as John mentioned, quite a number of Patriot League championships. And I have to figure that Navy will win its eighth straight President's Trophy for superlative performance within the Patriot League. Uh, speak to the overall performance within the Patriot League of your varsity teams. Well, that's another point of reference, Bill, for us, because, you know, we resource our people. We've got facilities. You know, we've got uh, ambitions, you know, that, that, that is, again, with an expect-to-win mindset. Uh, we've got programs within the Patriot League that have dominated the Patriot League for many years. We tied the most number of championships this year in history. Um, little surprise at the end because rowing usually takes that um, – championship, but our gals felt just a little bit short, but nevertheless, we were right there vying for championship. But the the President's Cup, you know, I, if, I, if I'm not, you know, you know better than I, because you pay really close attention to it, but I think, I think we won it nine times out of the last 10 years. You know, in, in the one year we lost it, you know, we lost it by a half a point. You know, so I really feel like, um, you know, being the lead athletic program in the Patriot League is another marker, you know, along with dominance over Army, you know, Commander-in-Chief Trophy, and President's Cup in the Patriot League, you know, constitutes, you know, a really good year for Navy athletics. And, you know, we um, came close. You know, I mean, obviously we tied in the, in the um, uh, Commander-in-Chief Trophy, split it. You know, that our Air Force game was a disappointment, but still we split the, the commander-in-chief and we dominated in both other two areas. So, um, you know, close to a great year, a really good year, a fine year, and something to build on next year. So, Chet, you yeah. talked about facility renovations, and a lot of people were crammed over in Halsey Fieldhouse because McDonough is getting renovated. I know there are some athletic facilities in McDonough. Can you talk about 
how, you know, the, the athletics portion of the of the McDonough renovation? Yeah, and let me lead into it by saying this, uh, Phil, that um, we've come off of two capital campaigns back to back. You know, it's been my priority to address every physical mission facility uh, across the board. And we've done that. We still, we, we got the Hubbard Hall boathouse is done, the sailing center, the soccer center, the stadium is, you know, is, is in pretty good shape. You know, the baseball facility, locker rooms, Halsey Fieldhouse, squash courts, you know, the, the uh, golf course. So we've run the gamut. You know, we're doing the Dwyer tennis facility now. We've run the gamut in terms of addressing every single physical mission facility that we can. Um, most all of what I've mentioned, uh, you know, has been led by private funding. The government has stepped up in a couple of very significant ways to assist the physical mission. One was Wesley Brown Fieldhouse, which was predominantly government, government money. And then the other is McDonough, to your question. McDonough houses are swimming, uh, water polo. Um, it, it, it is the gymnastics area. It houses some locker rooms, locker facilities for lacrosse. Uh, and then, but it's primarily, you know, call it a student center for physical mission. So that's where the brigade will go, the midshipmen will go to engage in intramural recreational type activities, which include weightlifting and, you know, intramural basketball, et cetera. So boxing, boxing, you know, it was McDonough's turn in the se sequence you know, to be renovated. And it really is um, so much appreciated because the government, again, for second time, Wesley being one, uh, and now McDonough's have stepped up big time to put millions of dollars into helping us, you know, kind of polish off our ambitions and making sure that physical mission was addressed, you know, across the yard. I don't think that in the history of the academy, the history that we've ever been in better shape in terms of physical mission. And, and one of the reasons is, is a tribute to, to our alumni that through these two capital campaigns, they stepped up and helped us renovate and build and construct so much of it. Then when you add the McDonough piece and the Wesley Brown piece and actually Hubbard Hall for a great degree, I mean, it turned out to be um, a clean sweep. So we're in great shape right now. And, um, you know, I think that we can look back at this and say, hey, you know, now we're into some maybe second tier renovations and facility enhancements. But our facilities right now are, I mean, they're as good as it gets at the academy. And we're, we're very, very proud of the public-private partnership that's made this a reality. Chet, thanks again for uh, for joining us. Um, I think I've mentioned this before. One one of the things that I admire about you and your team is that there really is not an off season uh, for for you all. Um, well, this will be our last pod, and we'll take a little bit of a sojourn over the summer, and then come back in the fall. You guys are hard at work, whether it's the coaches that are out recruiting um, or doing camps, um, but you and your staff are already starting to think about the fall and next year. Um, where is your mind as you look ahead to the 22-23 academic year? And um, you know, what what are you planning? What what is your, what are some of your goals, if you don't mind uh, sharing with our audience? Well, you know, we've got some priorities, Chris. That uh, 
you know, we really uh, zero in on that are kind of the staple of who we are. You know, one is to um, you know continue to generate what we call margin of excellence funding, which we've been very successful with because, again, of the enthusiasm and dedication of our alumni. Those are supplemental dollars that come in in the in the tune of millions to allow the athletic director the opportunity to provide our coaches with that is which is above and beyond normal operating budget levels and and and, and achieve aspire to and achieve excellence. So we're going to continue to focus on that as a, as a as a goal in the next year. We we've we've met that goal even through the pandemic. You know, we were able to again motivate our people to provide that margin of excellence funding, which takes great coaches like Kerry Colat and Kip Simon and Keith Purrier and you know Kenny. I mean, all the, they get what they need. You know, we put them in the driver's seat and we just you know give them what they need to make sure they've got everything to continue to succeed. Now, the other thing is that we you know, we look to um, continue to recruit as we have transitioned. You know, not only great people in terms of the staff at large, but any great coaches that need to be um, uh, addressed uh, in terms of retention. Uh, and that's Sorry, part of, again, of our um, marketing and promotion thrust to make sure I've got the resources to provide them you know, with the um, incentives to stay at Navy and, and continue to be part of this winning tradition. Um, facilities, you know, will continue to raise money. We're looking at some new, very ambitious projects, uh, not yet developed to the point of you know, speaking at length about them, but some new ideas that we've got in terms of uh, facility enhancements. But but if you think about it, you know, we, there's, it's really not uh, anything that is, um, um, you know, it's not research. It's it's not uh, anything that, that is, is other than we've got a formula. We've got a formula at a service academy that works. You know, you've met with the people that make it happen. You know, you 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 know who they are. You know what their philosophies are. You know that they fit in what the academy is about. You know, the AD's given them what they need. You know, I I my my you know number one objective is not to say no. You know, to say yes. If you really need that in a convincing way, yes. You know, we're going to provide you with that. You know, our admissions has been good. Our superintendent has been very supportive. As I mentioned, the facilities are there. The scheduling is reasonable. Um, you know, we want to see football get better next year. That's, you know, that's something that is a goal you know, going to next season. You know, and, and football drives so much of the emotion around our programs. So, you know, I, I, I can't sit here with any, you know, extensive new revelation that's going to say, wow, we're going to change the dynamic or change the formula, you know, but if you look at the challenges, it's not so much internal. It's going to be, how do we address some of these other issues that are external, you know, NIL is, is, is going to affect is a factor that's going to affect, you know, our business. The transfer portal is a factor that's affecting our business. Um, so there's some things that are external that we got to be able to deal with and how we're going to manage it. And those are some of the challenges, but I think that we've got a good, a really good formula right now to sustain the success that we've enjoyed. And I'll be honest with you, we don't, you know, sure, we'd like to, you know, go to a national championship and something, you know, we want Kenny to go to a big bowl game. Um, 
that we want Ed DeCellis to win that championship game and get us in the NCAAs. I mean, all those are in place and are part of our, you know, our extensive ambitions. But when you look at the program, I think in terms of its, its, um, its fundamental goals and objectives, I feel pretty good about where we are today. So you you mentioned I'll, I'll let Bill kind of deep dive, but I'll, I'll help him pivot there. You you mentioned NIL and the transfer portal. We yep. talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the show. It seems like that being at the Naval Academy is both a blessing and a curse when it comes to NIL and the transfer portal, right? I mean, there are some there's some pureness that's associated with the service academies, but at the same time, there's some um, I guess there'd be some some holding back that's associated with being at the service academies. Can you talk about how you and your staff are navigating the the dynamics now in in college, particularly college football, but it extends across all the sports dealing with the NIL and the, and the transfer portal dynamics? You know, Chris, those are external factors. Uh, the Navy has specific guidelines, you know, with regard to the um, flexibility that an enlisted sailor has or Marine or midshipman. Uh, our guidance comes from the Department of Defense. You know, I can't sit here and create something specific to athletics that flies in the face of what DOD guidance and DOD directives mandate, you know, the conditions under which we operate. So we can't sit here and just cry about it. You know, we can't say, you know, the sky is falling or we're at any big disadvantage. Um, you know, and we, maybe we are to some degree, but I think the NIL stuff is going to work itself out in a matter of being more highly regulated as the people on the outside figure out what it is really and what it's doing to college athletics. I mean, you've read it too. I mean, people as significant as the power five guys are saying it's a disaster. You know, I mean, you know, it really kind of unfolded in a way that came so fast that people didn't know what to expect, but they're taking advantage of it in a way that needs to be controlled. So that is going to sort itself out in some respect, you know, in the surrounding business community of athletics. But, you know, we cannot implement a plan as it has to do with NIL. It, it, it cuts across DOD directive. And I don't see DOD creating something specifically for intercollegiate athletics at the three service academies. I still, they, they, they're very consistent in the way they deal with enlisted, the way they deal with government employees. Um, to all of a sudden cut off the section says, hey, you can go pay a quarterback now to come to an academy where the mission is truly commissioning officers is a philosophical debate, you know, that, you know, hasn't been, hasn't been broached yet because again, guidance is in place, which directs us in terms of how we have to conduct our business. So what I tell our coaches is, listen, there's no complaining, forget about it. Okay. Right now it doesn't apply. You work at the United States Naval Academy. Here are the rules under which we, operate. There are 50 states out there. There are a tremendous number of young men and young women that would do anything for a full scholarship to a great institution, number one academic institution, public in the nation, with a guaranteed job when they graduate and are commissioned, with a wonderful opportunity that stays with them for the rest of their lives in terms of setting them up. There's all kinds of opportunities here 
if you come to the Naval Academy, here's the resources that you need. Here's that margin of excellence funding that allows you to recruit nationally. Don't tell me you're limited, you're not. Get out there, find those young men and young women that fit the mold of who we are. Coach them up to be better athletes. Coach them up to be competitive. You know, and, and we're in a league, the Patriot League, where we can compete. We're, we're, we're going up against Army and Air Force, which have the exact same guidance and rules that we do. I don't hear any excuses. No excuses. Nobody cares. Get the job done and make it work. So that's my philosophy on it. Well, Chad, I'll jump in on this. I mean, we did talk about this in the open, and I, I find it disturbing. I mean, I, every day a new story comes out that I find mind-boggling. A, a, a player who's yep. you know, threatening to transfer if he doesn't get more money, um, you know, it's just on and on. Between the transfer portal and the NIL, it's just bad. Now people are talking about the NCAA may be obsolete. You you spent your entire career in college athletics. Is this di as dire as it seems? And I agree with you. There has to be more oversight, more rules in place, because they, they open up this window of NIL without any parameters, and it's become the wild, wild west. And we got Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban sniping at each other about who's luring players with money. I mean, I, I just can't even believe it. It, it, you know, any idea that the NCAA was once amateur athletics is out the window. Uh, it is still at Navy, thank God. But I mean, what, what's your thought about the current state of college athletics? I mean, what's, where's this all going? Well, in terms of a, you know, unified effort, those days are over. There's going to be a, um, I, I believe, this is my opinion. There's going to be a separation uh, here that, that is inevitable with those that have the resources, access to resources. You'll call them the Power Five group and the others. And there'll be groups that will try to sustain the values of amateurism. They'll kind of hope to find a way to perpetuate you know, the values you know, that we have been so much a part of for you know, since the inception of the NCAA. But the money at the top is so significant right now um, that I, I can clearly see a very drastic separation in the values of, of two entities. Uh, and I see the NCAA becoming minimized in its ability to be able to influence and control both of those entities in harmony. It's just not going to work. You know, if you go back years ago, there's a model that I think that um, – may present itself again with history repeating in that the ECAC, Eastern College Athletic Conference, you know, once was a co collegiate conference that included Pittsburgh and Boston College and, you know, it had Syracuse and it had uh, Army and Navy and a whole group of institutions that had a, um, a harmonious mission. And we were together for many, many years and we believed in amateurism and fairness and Equitably, it was all equitable across the board. And then when television was introduced, ECAC became a, a conference that just managed championships. And now Pittsburgh, as you know where they are, and you know where Syracuse is in West Virginia. I mean, they're in a different planet, a different level. And that almost seems to be, again, a model that could evolve here is that those major conferences can become their, 
their own entities. They can become self-regulating in terms of their rules and regulations. You know, they can leave those that aspire to pure amateurism somewhere in the rearview mirror. And you might see a business model that changes the look, again, clearly the look of, um, of, of intercollegiate athletics at the highest level. I mean, Bill, let me, let me leave you with this. When, when you look at the Big Ten, you know, and they're talking about a television deal that could be a billion dollars a year. Okay, and right now they're probably sharing, what, 500 million each? And then you add a billion to that equation. I mean, how in the world can, can a program in the, in the Mid-American Conference or the Conference USA or the Sun Belt even think about competing at that level? They can't. You know, never mind the Patriot League. So you're going to see, again, a separation. And the last thing I'll say is that the average fan that has no idea of what we're talking about, no idea of amateurism, semi-professionalism, uh, this kind of money, etc., will come to the conclusion that when they turn on the television set, you know, to heck with all the pieces and the parts that, that constitute what they're seeing. You know, they want to see a Clemson, Georgia game. They want to be entertained. They just want to see great athletes entertaining them. And how they got there, whatever they did, you know, is irrelevant. It's just, you know, what a great game, what great athletes. I had a great two hours watching it. You know, Clemson wins. Turn the TV set off and, you know, look forward to next week. So I think the mindset of our, even our viewership, you know, is, is going to be one that it's more about entertainment. It's about just, um, you know, the, the bottom line and the end result. And again, we're at a point now in our business where there's a clear separation of the philosophies that, that have kept us glued together, you know, for the last 40 years. So one last question for me before I throw it back to John to close us out. But you're fortunate in that the Patriot League doesn't have these issues. The the no. schools you're competing with in the Patriot League aren't dealing with NILs. And really, it's not a major problem with transfers either, although they get a few. The other Patriot League schools get some decent transfers down, which helps them that you can't take advantage of. But in the American Athletic Conference for football, I think you do have some schools. Now, they can't do what the Alabamas and Texas A&Ms can do with these collectives where they're, you know, massing a massive amount of money so they can lure players. But I believe that the other schools in the American Athletic Conference can participate in NIL. I mean, I don't hear much about those types of things happening in the American, but is that a concern? Because that, you know, you're going to be competing on the field against teams that could potentially be paying players and you're not. Yeah. But I mean, you know, that's life. That's business. You know, that's where we're, that's where we're headed. You know, and we are paying players at Navy. You know, they're getting a free education, which they would as well at any other school. You know, they get a monthly stipend. You know, they get a great bonus when they graduate, when they sign up for the, for the Marines or for the, uh, you know, the submarine community. They get a great job that pays them an incredible um, uh, base salary, you know, as they are commissioned as officers. You know, they've got a career 
in which they can continue to um, capitalize on, or if they decide not to, they've got a magnificent ring on their finger that states that they're a Naval Academy graduate, and you, you don't know a Naval Academy graduate anywhere that's unemployed. So, I mean, we just got to accentuate the positives and not worry about the things that we can't control. And I go back to what I said a moment ago. Um, hey, no excuses. You know, we've got great coaches. We've got great resources, great facilities. we got a great program and institution to sell. Go find those young men, young women that want to be part of something special and expect to win. You don't know a Naval Academy is unemployed. Most of the Naval Academy graduates I know are like Chris Cervello. They're semi-retired at age 50. Well, there you go. We use Chris as, a, as an icon of the benchmark all the time. Well, Chet, I'll tell you what. This is a perfect place to leave it. I, I really appreciate the perspective and the time that you gave today and the support that you and your staff gave all season. And as a Naval Academy fan, I know I speak for Wags and Chris. As a fan of, of the physical mission and of the institution itself, thank you so much for what you do to lead it. Uh, and we can't wait to have you on again for uh, season number three when we welcome the Delaware Blue Hens in to uh, usher in the 22-23 athletic season. John, real quickly, I'll tell you what, I, I just am anxious for next year already. I'm excited about what can happen. And to know that you guys are going to stick with us and continue this wonderful podcast which is so important, has become so instrumental in, in getting the word out about Navy athletics. You know, I'll rest here comfortably knowing that we've got all is in order and you guys are on the team. And um, as far as I'm concerned, you always will be. Thanks for everything, man. Appreciate it all. All right. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Chuck Gladchuck of the Naval Academy Athletic Association. We are going to go to break. When we come back, Chris and Wags and I will bring this baby out. This is Sing Second Sports. One last read before we let you go. This is my favorite read of the week because it involves Hawaiian shirts. It's that time of year. The weather is getting warmer. You're going to be heading to barbecues. And it is true. The only Aloha shirt for Annapolis is now available. A fellow alumni partnered with Ryan Spooner of Hawaii to create a unique and timeless homage to your years on the Severn or your commitment to raising or hosting a midshipman. If you're a parent or sponsor, you don't just have to be a grad to wear this cool shirt. Ryan Spooner is known as the Brooks Brothers of the Islands for quality and style. Their shirts are amazing. This is a one-time opportunity. It expires at the end of May. So if you're interested, go to Annapolis dash shirt dot my shopify dot com one more time annapolis dash shirt dot my shopify dot com get yours today and remember time tide and the annapolis aloha shirt wait for no one so check it out today now back to the pod all right ladies and gentlemen we are back this is our final out of season number two of the podcast thank you to all of you for sticking with us all season Great conversations with Commander Faye and Chuck Gladchuck. I'm telling you what, uh, we were talking about it as we were uh, as we were interviewing him. Chet's perspective on NIL and the future of college athletics. I was like, that needs to start off Sports Center tonight. Um, and, and again, I, I, I th there have been, I'm sure, Chet detractors out there. Um, having talked to him and watching what he's done and everything that he has guided. Uh, over the two years of this podcast, but the 20 years that he's been there, 
I'll tell you what, they, they are nearing, if not at the Everest summit right now, kicking ass, taking names, adding more sports. Chris, from your perspective as a grad, what did you take away from Chet's perspective? No excuses, just win. That I mean, write that shit down, right? Whether you're a midshipman, whether you're a naval officer, whether you're in business, I mean, how can it get any more pure than, than that? Go tell your 14-year-old kid, no excuses. Just do their job. Just do what they, they are supposed to do. I, I remain very proud of the Naval Academy, and I remain very proud of the organization that, that Chet leads. Wags, you've been covering Chet and you know, is the main beat writer for Naval Academy Sports for almost the entirety of his uh, tenure. Um, have, have you ever heard him sound more focused? Because I'll tell you what, um, I, I believe that he is laser beam focused on taking this year and just making sure that we kick more ass next year. No question, John. And it's interesting you said that because I was just telling someone recently, you know, Chet and I have been together. We, we basically came in together. Uh, my first season covering Navy football was the last season of Charlie Weatherby. And that was, and I'll never forget the press conference at the old boathouse uh, when Chet was introduced as athletic director. And I was very impressed then and remain impressed now some 22 years later, whatever it's been. But, uh, you know, we, we have been together a long time, Chet and I, and it's been a pleasure to work with him. He's a, just a, he is a, a total professional among the best in the business. Um, you know, he's going to get a lot of accolades when he finally does retire. You're going to hear a lot of, Important people in athletics say a lot of good things about Chet Gladchuk and his impact on college athletics. But I was a little heartened because I, I am, I, as I said in the open, I'm, I'm a little down. I'm, I'm worried about the state of college athletics. And, you know, Chet doesn't sound worried. He, he thinks he sees the plan. He, he knows where this is headed, but he is demanding that Navy continue to succeed on all fronts. He, he doesn't want to hear complaints oh we don't have nil oh we can't take transfers how can we compete i'm gonna hear it so <laughs> good on him he's got me feeling a lot better about the situation and where navy sits in the current environment yeah i'll tell you what guys the words that uh john fay and check gladchuck used today uh to characterize not only the season but the physical mission at the naval academy were absolutely perfect and i can't think of a better way uh, to end this current podcast season. Uh, before we go out, let me uh, just drop three more takes here. Number one, hats off to uh, Navy soccer coach Karen Gabera. She was awarded the Naval Academy Class of 1973 Heinz Lenz Fellow Award. The award recognizes the importance of leadership through athletics excellence as a contributor to the overall mission of the Naval Academy. Uh, the recognition commemorates the athletics excellence pillar in honor and memory of Coach Heinz Lenz. Uh, Karen has been at the program since it started in 1993. She's a frequent contributor to the pod and hats off to her for being recognized appropriately so. We have to also recognize Stacy Michaud of Navy Sports Information. She just turned 50 this week. Hats off to you, Stacy, and thank you for all the help that you have given us. Also, I know Wags is down at his beach house but I will represent his alma mater and Jack Schofield's alma mater as St. Mary's Lacrosse, led by Alan Pastrana's grandson, Zach Overend, between the pipes. Manning those same pipes, Jack Schofield, 
uh, was in between back in the day, but they are taking on McDonough tonight at Navy Marine Corps Stadium for the MIAA championship. Cannot wait to be there. And what a great venue to watch St. Mary's lacrosse try to get the title. And as we go out, I'd like to point everyone to a really big article that came out in the Washington Post yesterday, uh, May 19th. And it's about the prevalence of suicides that took place this past season. As we emerge from COVID, please remember names like Lauren Burnett, uh, the JMU softball catcher, um, Katie Meyer, the goalkeeper from Stanford. There were many, many other names like these, uh, but the total number of NCAA athlete suicides in the first four months of 2022 alone appears to be substantially higher than the rate in the past. Um, and, and we just have to keep an eye on mental health uh, with these athletes as COVID fluctuates and comes and goes. And we complain about people getting COVID years and sixth years to play college athletics. Um, there are also people who have suffered uh, from you know, COVID and also the, the incredible pressures of being a college athlete, particularly when you're getting outed by Nick Saban you know, for being paid for what you do. These are still impressionable young people, and we need to remember that mental health is, a, is an incredibly important thing to keep an eye on. Talk to your athletes, watch out for them, and, and bring them into your, into your village, so to speak. If I can channel Clint Bruce um, the way that John Faye did, please keep an eye on these athletes uh, and, and, and make sure that they don't fall victim to this, to this trend, which is awfully, awfully concerning in college athletics. On that note, we are done. We will see you in September. Thank you so much to you, our fans, our listeners. Thank you to NAAA. Thank you to our sponsors. I have to thank Chris Cervello from the bottom of my heart, not only for being my best friend, but for being the greatest producer of a podcast there is. All of Chet's accolades for the, uh, for the podcast during his interview. It's not because of my long, drawn-out sentences. It's because of the incredible product that Chris puts out. And Wags, thank you to you for your time and your effort and your acumen. And Award Carol, our erstwhile Top Gun shipmate, we are done. We will see you in September. This is Sing Second Sports. We're out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show, and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.